First uh, Samuel chapter number ten. First Samuel chapter number ten tonight, and uh, appreciate all of the birthday wishes and comments. And uh, it has been a good day. Um, it's just one of those things like when you grow up, there's just certain things that you just don't get to do uh, when you're working and all these different things. And um, you know, it's kind of like summer, that first summer after you get out of school and work happens and you're like, man, people actually have to work in July. This is not fair. Uh, so it's kind of one of those things, you know, your birthday comes around. It's like, they don't give you the day off for your birthday, man. It's just not fair. Uh, so, but uh, it was a good day and had a good day. Uh, went on the way. If a fish flops out somewhere while I'm preaching, we ate sushi before uh, service tonight, and uh, I got my money's worth. So uh, we just uh, just keep on rolling. But First uh, Samuel chapter number ten, and uh, thank you again for the for all the cards and the gifts. Uh, on Sunday uh, for the surprise party, and I had a good time. I have not opened the Legos yet. I uh, have not opened them yet. Uh, I opened the small box this afternoon. Uh, Kinsley and I s- sat down for a few minutes, and we're working on uh, my little bitty Iron Man set that Brother Rex and Miss Celeste got me, and uh, didn't get it done, but we're working on it. So um, I appreciate it. I have five different Lego sets uh, still at home, still in the box that will uh, and I told our growth group on Sunday night, uh, some people do golf as, you know, preachers, ministry, whatever. Uh, some guys do golf. Some people go to the gym to kind of unwind, and Legos is my thing uh, that I just enjoy, and I can zone out, and it's therapy for me. Uh, so we've taken Legos on our vacations and sabbatical and uh, different things just for me to be able to, you know, get lost in it. But uh, I appreciate all of the gifts this past weekend. It was a blessing. So love our church family. 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, when we left the series last week, remember Samuel was looking at this young leader. Uh, God had told him uh, just that he would meet a man who would be the anointed one, who he would be anointed as captain. We talked about the fact that God didn't call him the king, he called him the captain. And then Samuel referred again, and the people are actually who call him the king for the very first time uh, in this chapter, chapter number 10. But God showed Samuel who he was. He showed him who Saul was. and uh, The people had asked for a king, and God gave them exactly what they asked for, even in his name. Uh, the name Saul means asked for, someone who's asked for. So it gives us a very interesting question to ponder. We'll look at it a couple times in the message. But why and when does God give us the things that we ask for? Why and when does God give us the things we ask for. We know we know ultimately that this was a bad thing for the people. It led them down a, a road where they turned away from the Lord. Uh, but why would God allow that? Why would God simply say no? Why wouldn't he do that? Why would he give in to the people's request? You know, could it be that the Lord is trying to teach us that he knows better than we do? Uh, could it be that the Lord is trying to develop a greater dependency on himself? Uh, allowing us to have things that we want in our life. Uh, So all of those things. Remember we talked this past Sunday about Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 when the writer of Hebrews says, let your conversation be without covetousness. Live in such a way that you're not wanting more. Uh, Live in such a way where you're satisfied with what you have. And he says, be content with such things as you have. And then the writer says, for he, the Lord, hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Leaning into the truth that if we have the Lord, what do we really need? 
If we have him, do we need anything else? Uh, So we see that kind of uh, come out in this story. We've heard the saying, be careful what you wish for. Okay, Uh, That was going to happen with the people in 1 Samuel chapter 10. So if you're writing notes, you can write down number one, the choice. The choice. All right. Uh, Look at verse number one. The Bible says, Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? When thou art departed from me today, then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zelzun. They will say unto thee, The asses which thou wentest to seek are found. And lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses and sorroweth for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? Then shalt thou go on forward from thence, and shalt come to the plain of Tabor. And there shall meet thee three men going up to God, to Bethel, one carrying three kids, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. They will salute thee, and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. After that thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass, when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place, with a psaltery and a tabret, and a pipe, and a harp before them. And they shall prophesy, verse 6, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. And let it be when those signs are coming to thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. Now, think about the choice, the choice. When we last last left off at the end of chapter number 9, remember Saul and Samuel meet that morning. He's going to go back to his father and let him know that he's okay. They told him that the female donkeys had been found. Everything was good, but he needed to go back home because his father had started worrying about his well-being. And as they're leaving, Samuel stops Saul and says, Hey, send your servant on ahead. I need to tell you the word of the Lord. I need to tell you something that God has told me to communicate to you. And then when we get into chapter number 1, Samuel does something that had never been done before. And remember, God told Samuel that Saul was his choice, but Samuel was not on board with the decision. He voiced his displeasure in chapter number 8 and verse number 6. And it says, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel was not happy about this uh, train of thought. He wasn't happy about this, uh, this path that they were want, on. But just as we know Samuel's displeasure with their decision, they were displeased with how Samuel responded back to them. In chapter 8 and verse number 19, it says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and said, Nay, but we will have a king over us. The Lord was very clear over his people and who his people were. He said they were his inheritance. Uh, They weren't going to have a king. They had a leader. They had God. They were his people. But it's the same thing we see of the elders in the church. Remember, we have a leader, and we see that they said, we want a leader, and God says, you can have a leader, just remember who your ultimate king is. And the elders of the church are talked to in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 3. Peter says, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. He's saying, you can still have a leader, church, and guys, you're going to be the leadership of the church. He's speaking to the elders. He's talking to these first century pastors, and he says, you guys are the leaders. Just remember who's in charge. You can be the leader of the flock, but you're not the boss. You can be the leader, but you're not the boss. And that's where Saul was. Saul, you can be the leader. You can be the captain, but you are not the boss. And our church is no different. 
You know, just because my name's on the sign doesn't mean that I'm the boss. Colossians chapter number 1 and verse 18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church. And that's not he, Heath. Uh, it says he, he, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 17, points to the one who created all things. and By him all things consist. The Lord Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Anything with more than, two, with more than one head is a monster, remember? All right. Uh, remember Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. Jesus looked in Peter and said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. He wasn't talking to Peter. He said, Upon this rock. I'm talking to you, but I'm talking about me. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to build my church. And that's why the decisions that are made from the leadership cannot be what's best for you. Cannot be what's best for me. It has to be what's best for his church. It has to be what's best for Crossroads. It has to be what's best for his body. And we can't pick and choose the things that are our pet projects that we want to exalt or cast down. It has to be what's best for our body. You know, I would have loved to have eaten another entire plate of sushi. Uh, but it would have not been good for Crossroad. I promise. Uh, would not have been good for Crossroad. Would not have been good for my body uh, or this body. So uh, you think about we have to consider what is best for his church. And there's no way for us to ever imagine that this belongs to us. It's not ours. Never has been and never will be. And remember Psalm 118, 23, you know the verse, this is the Lord's doing. It's his. It's his doing. We sit back and say it's marvelous, but it's his work. It's his handiwork. I remember Paul uh, scolded the first Corinthian church and said, just don't forget uh, that I planted and polished water, but it was God that gave the increase. It wasn't us. It was His doing, not our own. And Samuel wanted to make it very clear that God's inheritance is not up for grabs. It's the same thing today. God's church is not up for grabs. It's His. It's not ours. It's His. Wayne Mack said, I believe that one major reason that the church of Jesus Christ in the United States is very close to being in sheer chaos today is because so many people think themselves as individuals rather than as part of the body of Christ. And then he says this, I love this. Christianity is not every man for himself. It's every man together for Christ. I mean, come on, it doesn't get easier than that. It's not every man for himself. God did not designate the Christian life to be lived alone. And that's why it says in Hebrews chapter 10, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But so much the more as we see the day approaching. And we encourage one another, provoke one another to good works, to love and to good works. Because we are not designed and created to be alone. Remember, it was God that said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make it help meet. For him. Remember, Jesus didn't send the disciples out one by one. He sent them out two by two. Why? Because we were created for fellowship. We were created for each other. We were created to be together in groups. Uh, you know, and there's just a certain element that you cannot get when you're not in the room with the church. Now, I'm thankful for the technology that we have. I'm thankful that we have the opportunity when it snows to have snow church and we can still connect and all these different things. I'm thankful that when we're sick, we can be at home and still be connected in. But it is not a substitute for being in the room. 
It's not. And I know that every situation is different. I'm not diminishing anybody's. But you cannot get fellowship with other believers watching TV. It just, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be mean. Uh, but uh, the Lord has to help me tonight. Uh, but it's the sushi. I blame it on the sushi. Uh, we have to see ourselves as part of His body, not our own body. We're part of His church. That Someone said, we will never change the world by going to church. We will only change the world by being the church. It's not just going, it's being the church. And even though he was anointed, there's no indication that Saul had any clue what this meant. You think about, this is the first time this had ever happened. They were used to anointing animals when they were getting ready to sacrifice them. But think about it, the anointing of people had not happened before. This was not something that was commonplace. This wasn't something where they were used to this. So as far as Saul was concerned, I'm, I guess I'm just being selected for some project. He had no idea. There's no indication that Samuel said, by the way, you're going to be the king. There's nothing. It just says that he's going to be anointed captain. Remember in verse number one, he says he's anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance. No way of knowing what that meant. No way of knowing what that represented. But Saul was given the word of the Lord. It was even validated in the next few verses. Samuel told him three things that were going to happen. Almost prophesying what was going to happen next. First, he said, you'll find two men who are going to tell you what happened to the donkeys. You're going to come across, in verse number 3, he said, you're going to find these guys in verse 2. You're going to find these men at this specific place. And they're going to tell you what's happened to the donkeys. And they're going to tell you that your dad's worried about you, Saul. Then you're going to go a little bit farther. You're going to come across three men. And if you notice in verse number 3, they have different things that they're carrying. One is carrying three kids. Not kids like youngsters running around. Uh, We're talking about small goats. All right. Carrying three goats and another carrying three loaves of bread. See the specificity? Uh, specificity? Uh, specific, whatever that word is. The specifics. All right. Uh, but you see the specifics of what he's saying. It said three kids, three loaves of bread, one carrying a bottle of wine. Uh, so I guess he was, you know, taking a break or something. Uh, but think about one's going to salute you and they're going to salute you and then one of them's going to give you two loaves of bread. Very specific. Now, these are not just details that would have happenstance come about. These are very specific things. And then in verse number 5, it said, you're going to come across a group of prophets, and they're going to be talking, and they're going to be prophesying things that are going to happen. And all of a sudden, you're going to be one of them. You're going to be considered, labeled as one of them. That happens later in the chapter. But all of these things take place. They would even, all of this stuff would even become more important when Saul was in fear over the calling. It was validation that this was an act of God. I wonder how many times God has to do something miraculous to get us to see that He's at work. Does God have to do something big and bold for you to see that He's on the move? For you to know that He's active, involved in your life? Or can He just do something small that most would overlook, but you would say, that's God. That's exactly God. What does God have to do to show you that he's the one moving behind the scenes? But it brings us to an interesting debate that we see in verse number 6. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, 
And then in verse number 7, it says, for God is with thee. So here's the question. Was Saul a believer? You see this man who at certain times in his life, man, he's riding the mountaintop. Everything's great. But then you see some low points where he's ready to kill everybody in his sight. Even David, even his own son, even some of his closest followers, ready to kill anybody at a moment's notice, riding that wave of emotion. So you have to ask, was Saul a believer? You can make an argument both ways. Saul was a very carnal man. But we could also make an argument that we are too at times. I remember Paul spoke to that carnal church in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And remember how he started the chapter in chapter 3 and verse number 1? And he said, and I, brethren. He's talked about some of their things that they've done wrong. And then he calls them brothers in Christ. He says, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as a spiritual. I'd love to have the spiritual Jesus talk with you, but I have to talk to you as worldly, carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have to talk to you like you just got saved, like you have no biblical training, no knowledge whatsoever of spiritual things. He said, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. I've said two chapters worth of information and you're still spiritual babies. That sounds like the church today. It's completely possible to be a carnal believer. I didn't say a carnal Christian. A carnal believer. To get the title of Christian means that we must be Christ-like. Be like Christ. So it is possible to be a carnal believer. Samuel told him to uh, go and see the Lord's word come to pass, and it did. It is completely possible that Saul was saved and lived a carnal life, but it's equally possible that God equipped him for this role and he never became a believer. So, Pastor, can God do that? Is that really possible? One of the guys who walked with Jesus sure looked like a disciple. Preached like him. Did miracles like him. That's not Something that he came up with on his own, not sleight of hand. God equipped, God gave Judas the ability, so much so that when Jesus said, one of you guys is going to betray me, is it I? Is it me? Are you sure? Could it be me? They never pointed out Judas. Why? Because he blended in so well. And it, just a great reminder, it is possible to blend in really, really well in church. Uh, Can I just say, Time out. That's why Paul said, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Just make sure that you know that you've got a relationship with Christ. Make sure there's been a time and place in your life where you've taken that step of salvation. It is very possible that if you can't remember that time, that you may not have that time. And you may not have a relationship with Jesus. Knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus are two totally different things. I can know about some of our political leaders. Most of them I don't like. But I can know about a lot of things and a lot of people, but that doesn't mean that I have a close relationship with them. I can know a lot of sports people. I know a lot about them, but that doesn't mean that I know them. And they don't know me. Uh, Maybe that would be nice one day, but they don't know me. And it's the same way with Jesus. You can know about him. That doesn't mean that you know him. So we see, number one, we see the choice. He was chosen, but then we see number two, the confirmation. Look at verse number nine. The confirmation. 
All of these things happened, verse 9, and it was so that when he turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. Everything that Samuel said was going to happen, happened. Everything that God was trying to do to show Saul that he was working, happened. Verse 10, and when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him. And here's the last piece. And the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. Verse 11, and it came to pass when all that knew him. Now here's the thing. This is what makes Saul's story interesting to me. Okay? They all see Saul with these prophets. And it wasn't like, wow, Saul is spiritual. Look at verse 11. It said, Behold, he prophesied among the prophets, and the people said one to another, What is this that has come unto the son of Kish? What is wrong with Saul? What is he doing? Could it be that Saul wasn't as spiritual as he could have been made out to be? Hey, we've never heard him talk about spiritual stuff. It was almost like they were shocked that Saul was speaking this way. Isn't that Kish's boy? Man, we've heard him talk. He's never talked about the Lord like that. He's never said things like that. And said, is Saul also among the prophets? In verse 12, and one of the same place answered and said, but who is their father? Therefore it came, became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? They started talking and made a song about Saul in his inefficiency to be consistent. His inability to be consistent. It became a thing. Verse 13, when he made an end of prophesying, he came to the high place. And Saul's uncle said unto him, his servant, where'd you go? Hey, what happened to you guys? Uh, you, you know, your dad's looking for you, but this is, something's going on here. What's wrong? And he said, to seek the asses. Where, where were we? We were out looking for the donkeys. Like dad said, when we saw that they were nowhere, we came to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, I pray thee, what Samuel said unto you. Hey, why were you with Samuel? We know who Samuel is. Why were you with him? What, what did he say? Verse 16, Saul said unto his uncle, he told us plainly that the asses were found. But of the matter of the kingdom whereof Samuel spake, he told him not. All of this stuff happens. All of it transpires. And Saul is not forth-telling with information. Not sharing it. Not disclosing it. Prophesying like Saul had said, but... That was not his nature. He was not like that. That was not who he was. And even his uncle wanted to know. And he seemed to know that Samuel was doing something, but didn't really know. Remember, Samuel had told all of the people, go back home. At the end of chapter number 9, remember, we want a king. Go home. Go every man back to your house. It is entirely possible that some of the men who were there in this crowd that day heard Samuel's words. So everybody's like, Samuel said that we were going to get a king, but what's going on? Why is Samuel talking to Saul? Why is Saul all of a sudden different? All of these different things. But with the measure of uncertainty, there was no reason for him to share what he wasn't sure of. Now remember, we know much later in Saul's life, he was a very prideful person. It could it have been that he didn't want to share anything because he didn't want to be found out to be wrong? He didn't want to say, yeah. He told me that I'm going to be the captain over God's people. And people put two and two together. What if Saul's wrong? Who's that come back on? Not Samuel. Comes back on Saul. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 13, just a few chapters later. 
And if you look at the timeline, two years later, not very far, not very long, what happens? Verse number 8, and he tarried seven days. Samuel said, go over here and wait till I get there. So what does Saul do? He goes over and waits seven days, and then Saul gets antsy. Set time that Samuel would appoint, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me in peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Two verses later, Samuel shows up. The Bible says, as soon as he was finished making the offering, Samuel walks into the group. And he says, what hast thou done? What are you doing? Saul, you're not qualified. You're not supposed to do this. And what does Saul say? Because I saw that the people were scattered from me. Hey, remember, they're my people, Samuel. And Saul said, Samuel, hey, we never said they were your people. You're supposed to be the leader over God's inheritance, not your inheritance. They're not your people, Saul. They're God's. Why are you taking ownership for something that doesn't belong to you? Why are you doing something that's not entitled to you? And said, that thou camest not within the days appointed. The Philistines gathered themselves. Hey, the people were walking away from me. I had no choice, Samuel. You left me no choice. And he's already subverting his role. He wasn't the spiritual leader, just the national leader. He wasn't the one in charge. He was the one leading. But his pride put him in a place where he assumed more than he was entitled to. Tim Keller said, Spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. When can God no longer use a person? At what point does someone get to where God cannot use them anymore? When that person thinks and acts like they don't need Him. It's not on the screen, but it'll be in your notes. Someone said, it's not so much our littleness that hinders Christ as our bigness. It's not so much our weakness that hinders Christ as our strength. It's not our darkness, but our supposed light that holds back His power. In Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Saul said, hey, I can do this. I can do this. And Samuel said, you're not allowed to do this. You're not entitled to do this. You haven't been given permission to do this, Saul. You stepped across the line. Two years later, everybody knew that Saul's days were numbered. So we see number three, the continuation. Look at verse number 17. And Samuel gathered the people together in the Lord at Mizpah. And said unto the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, delivered you the hand of the Egyptians out of the land of all kingdoms, and of them that oppress you. And ye have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adversities and your tribulations. You've said unto him, Nay, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. He gets them together, shares God's word with them. This is what God has done. This is where he's led you. This is where he's brought you. And he says, thus saith the Lord God. Now, this is eerily similar. Remember when Joshua got the people together when there was sin in the camp? And he gathered all the people together and started casting lots. How did that day end? With an entire family dying. Can you imagine their feeling? 
as Joshua is telling the people, hey, you've rejected the Lord, there's sin in the camp, let's start dividing up by families. Here's Samuel. Hey, you've rejected the Lord, it's time for judgment, let's divide up by families. What is Samuel getting ready to do? Y'all, is he getting ready to kill an entire family just as a show of God's power? What happens? It was God's desire to lead the people, remember, to show how they could follow him, but that was not their will. And it's the collision of the will of God versus the will of man, and it's a dangerous place to be. Dangerous place. And Samuel's trying to show the people one more time that what they're giving up. You know, this, this isn't like giving up your favorite place to eat. This is literally turning away and substituting God for themselves. Someone said pride is a devastating sin and is complex. Most sins turn us away from God, but pride directly attacks God. It lifts us above and against God, seeking to dethrone Him by enthroning ourselves. Remember Paul said in Philippians 3.17, he said, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, as I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. If you're going to turn away from Jesus, just as a reminder, church family, they're already in the church. There are people among you who, I tell you weeping, I'm sorry to tell you. I, it, makes, it grieves my heart, but there are enemies of Jesus in the midst who've already chosen that they're not going to follow the Lord. Verse 19 of that chapter said, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mine earthly things. There are people in Bible-believing churches today who have absolutely no intention of ever following the Lord, but have every intention of leading themselves. No intention ever of following the Lord, ever, but have every intention of leading themselves. And that is the problem. When we get to the place where we say, I don't need God. Hey, I'm doing fine without Him. Why do I have to go to church? Why do I need to read my Bible? Uh, that's the pastor's job. I'll let him study. I'll let him just preach the message on Sunday, and I'll get something out of it, and I'll write down my notes. Why do I have to do that? Why do I need to pray? God knows where I am. We're good. Me and Jesus, we're on good terms. When we lift up ourself and exalt who we are, that means that by default, we're taking God off the throne and putting ourselves there. There is only room for one person on the throne of your heart. Only room for one. And God will not play Russian roulette or duck-duck goose or pick a chair or musical chairs with your heart. We get to choose. We get to choose. He's already chosen. He deserves that seat. But we get to choose if he sits there. He lets us choose, which leads to the confrontation. Look at verse number 20, this last section of verses. Finally, the time had come. What was Samuel getting ready to do? How is he going to respond to the people? Look at verse 20. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. Now, totally different tribe than Joshua chose. But verse 21, when he caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the son of Matri was taken, the Saul, the son of Kish was taken, and when they sought him, he could not be found. Hey, 
Saul, here's the name. We see in the Bible, we call it casting lots. This is their system of allowing God to choose. Uh, we see that in the Old Testament in uh, the story of Achan. We see that in the New Testament. Remember when the disciples drew law, uh, drew lots and drew Matthias's name when they got ahead of the Holy Spirit and said, Jesus said there's going to be 12 thrones in heaven for the apostles and we've got to replace Judas because he's dead. And Remember Paul said, I'm the apostle who's born out of due time. and All of those different things. But they drew lots and the lot fell on Matthias. Only time Matthias' name is mentioned in the Bible. That should tell you how their plan worked out. Uh, but when you see all of that transpire, drawing lots was just the thing that they did. It was saying, we're going to draw the lot, we're going to roll the dice and leave the results to God. That's what they're doing. And they draw Saul's name. All right, go get Saul. Where's Saul? Kish, where's your son? Well, he's here a few minutes ago. He's gone. And all of a sudden, the search party starts. Look at verse number 22. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further. Lord, can you show somebody where he is? If the man should yet come thither, and the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. The Hebrew word means garbage. This guy is hiding in the trash pile. Sounds like he's really excited about being king. And they ran and fetched him thence. When he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upwards. This is the moment where people go, ah, wait a minute. Saul brought us together. He told us that God was going to give us a king. Here's a pretty big kingly looking guy. Maybe. Verse 24, and Samuel said unto all the people, see whom, him whom the Lord hath chosen. Imagine putting the dots together. The Lord chose him. Saul, his name means asked for. <gasps> He's the one. He even looks like a king. He looks bigger than everybody else. Man, won't the nations be impressed with us? And there's the problem. Look at verse 26 or 25. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it before I'm sorry, verse 24. Samuel said unto all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen. There's none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. They got real spiritual. Hey, God has given us what we want. But they lost what they had. Got what they wanted. But lost what they had. They wanted a king so that all the other nations would see and be in awe of what they had. Be impressed with them. You ever heard that? I want people to see what I've got so that they'll be jealous. I want to get all this stuff so that people will be impressed with me. And they even wanted God to bless their arrogance. God save the king. Bless it. You see, God wanted to give them a captain to honor and lead the people. But they wanted a king instead of a God. They wanted a king, but God wasn't allowed his, about to allow his people to be led by somebody else. Remember Titus chapter 2 and verse 14? Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people? God sent Jesus so that we could be brought back to him, not so that we could lead us. First uh, Peter 2, 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Not everybody was happy about the choice, by the way. You see in verse number 27 that there was a group of men, the children of Belial. Belial is another biblical term for Satan. 
children of Belial, children of the devil, and said, how shall this man save us? Hey, we're, we're not going to follow him. It doesn't matter if God chose him. It doesn't matter if Samuel anointed him. We don't care. We're not going to follow him. And that's pretty true in every way of life. They despised him and brought him no presents. But he, Saul, held his peace. You know, he could have looked at those guys and said, like the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland, off with her head, you know. Could have, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't have the boldness yet. Oh, he's getting ready to have it. Give him a couple chapters and it would, it would puff up. But you think about it. They needed a man. They thought that they wanted a king to lead them. But they needed a man who would direct them towards God. They thought they needed a king. What they needed was a shepherd. They would eventually get the shepherd. But we might think, man, I need a king. I need somebody to rule my heart. What we really need is a shepherd. We need a shepherd. We need someone to love us. Hey, that's not the pastor, by the way. Don't, don't go there. Uh, that's not the pastor. Your heart needs a shepherd. Your heart needs someone to lovingly lead and guide you and love you. Your heart needs a shepherd. And when the chief shepherd shall appear. You know, he's the good shepherd. Why do we know that he's the good shepherd? Because the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He is our shepherd. Just like David, that shepherd, said, The Lord is my shepherd. I, I, sh I don't have need of anything. I shall not want. I don't need anything. If I have the shepherd, I don't need a king. And David was the king. He could have said, I don't need anybody. I got me. <laughs> I can do anything I want to do. But David said, I need a shepherd. And the question tonight is, do you need a shepherd? Do you need him leading you today? And if you do, do we act like it? Do we make decisions like that? Do we make decisions on our own or do we consult our shepherd and say, Lord, what would you have me do? Uh, Lord, are you leading me in this direction? Do you want me to follow you in this direction? And if I'm not, if I'm wrong, Lord, correct me now. Show me now. Stop me now so that I can truly Follow you. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said, We do not want a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. Not a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. How is that possible? When we follow the shepherd. We don't move ahead of him. We don't lag behind him. We walk with him. And we act like it. And we depend on him like he deserves to be depended on. Father, thank you for your word. and Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture, Lord, that shows us how much we truly do need you. Lord, we sang it tonight. Lord, I need you. It is sweet to trust in Jesus. And Lord, as the deer pants for the waters, Lord, our hearts should long for you. Lord, I ask that you please help us to see you at work in our lives and help us to follow you faithfully lovingly. Lord, as sheep love their shepherd, Lord, we know that you love us. But Lord, help us to love you and prove our love by obeying you, obeying your word and following where you lead us. Lord, thank you for your loving, watchful care over your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen.
We're going to go to the Lord in prayer in just a few moments. And the guys are handing out uh, prayer requests sheets tonight. Let me give you just a few things.